The theme for our Christmas series this year is comfort and joy. Everybody say comfort and joy. Couldn't we all use a little comfort and joy this year? But don't be confused. It might not be the comfort that you're thinking about, but the Bible tells us our God is the God of comfort who comforts you with all comfort. It's a great verse. I'll read it for you next week. The word comfort's like 25 times in it. It's awesome. Our God brings comfort and our God is our reason for joy. So I'm looking forward to four weeks of talking about comfort and joy in a year that there's been little joy and not much comfort, right? And so you can invite people to either tune in online or to be here if they feel comfortable with that. Uh, we're excited to start that series. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting something. I do, oh, I do want to say something about uh, House of Providence. Very, very thankful that you guys took all those presents. We got those covered. Bring those in like Ben was telling you and that you can bring cash gifts. All that is great. Uh, but, but I want to highlight this. House of Providence uh, has a home for girls and a home for boys, foster care children. Every two minutes, another child enters foster care in the United States. Every two minutes, another child is, is without a mom and dad in a forever home. 13,000 children in Michigan alone. And I think there's over 3,500 waiting to go to a home in Michigan. I think that's the latest number. Michigan is one of the worst. We're ranked 48th in the nation for the number of children that are fostered. Wow. Uh, a, a, a consistent adult relationship can change the future of these children. These are out there by the House of Providence table, and you can grab one of these cards, and there's a pen out there, and even a little uh, bracelet you can just to remember that. But I had good news today. I already shared with you last week that a good number of the girls were found forever homes this year at House of Providence. One of the boys I found out from the home for the boys, one of the boys found a forever home and is, is with a home. Those are great news. But I found out this week, one of our single ladies, Megan Merritt, she is going to foster a young girl. And in January, she hopes to have this girl brought into her home. And she's, a, a sing, she's going to be a single mom raising a child. And obviously, if you know Megan, uh, she works at House of Providence. I'm sure her heart was just stirred for this need. And she moved into her own apartment. She has a place and, and an income. And she thought, why can't I be one of the answers for one of these children? And she simply called me and said, Pastor, do you think the church would surround me and be uh, uh, behind me in prayer? Because the devil wouldn't like it when uh, one, of, one child has a forever home and has an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And I'm like, boy, Megan, you better believe we're going to surround you in prayer. But I want to take that a little further. Would you consider, we won't do it this Sunday, but over the next few days, would you consider and prayer, prayerfully consider being part of Megan's team? She's a single mom. There's going to be times she needs backup. There's going to be times when she needs somebody just to come over and do some child care. There's going to be time when she needs a break, some respite. By the way, that is a thing you can do. You can do respite care in Michigan. Maybe you can't foster permanently. You can sign up to be a respite, which means you would take a child for a day or two while the parents got a break. Um, there's a lot we can do. But one of our own is going to foster. Do you think we should get behind that? I do. I think we ought to have prayer warriors assigned to her and a team assigned to Megan that she knows she can go to for backup. Let's consider that this year. And we'll get back to you on that in December. Well, we're jumping way ahead of ourselves. We have to finish our series, okay? This is the end of the trilogy, the last message of the three-part series, The Good and Beautiful Design. Transformation from Dysfunction to Design. We've been talking about the good and beautiful God. The God as Jesus knows him. Remember, we looked at the, the God that Jesus talked about. That's the God we should know. Get away from all those false narratives about 
people say who God is. And no, no, let's go to see what did Jesus say God was. Then we did the, the good and beautiful life. A life that God gave us to design in his Bible. The living word tells us how we ought to live in all things. And then we end with the good and beautiful community. What is church supposed to be? What are we here for? What are we to do? The good and beautiful community. And that is following the Spirit, extending grace, demonstrating love. Let's pray this morning. Would you pray this with me and be ready for it? It's going to be different. Are you ready? Let's pray this prayer this morning. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. You get that change? We change that up. Say that prayer to God. Since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray you'd be glorified. I pray that everyone hearing this would be edified. I pray that Satan would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've gone through so many things about what the the good and beautiful community is supposed to be about. And we are on the last one, and it simply is, we are a worshiping community. Everybody say worshiping. I looked it up 20 times. I think there's supposed to be two Ps, but there's not. I looked it up. Those of you who are sitting there saying, I think there should be two Ps. Trust me, I looked it up. I'm part of a worshiping community. The Christian life is communal, not solo. We are meant to live in a worshiping community. I can't emphasize this enough for you this morning. Part of the whole thing about the good and beautiful community is you're part of it. You're part of the the pen, the sheep pen here in Oakwood. This little itty bitty village in in nowhere, right? Uh, My daughters come from Grand Rapids and they've been going with us yesterday with small town shopping, whatever, hometown shopping. So we're going through these stores and my daughter made the comment. She's like, man... Why are these people so proud of their, where they live? Because there's all these little things like I live in Brandon and you can buy all these things about uh, Brandon and you can buy all this. I live in Oxford and you can buy all these things. And, and my, my daughter's like, really? Really? And I'm like, yeah, hey, don't knock us. Don't knock Ortonville. Yeah, we might be in the sticks, but we are proud of where we're from. And, and we are the little itty-bitty town of Ortonville with people that come from Lapeer and Troy, I don't know, all over the place. We're coming to this little bitty sheep pen, and we become one of these little communities. We're not the community of faith. There's a greater community of faith out there, amen? But we're, we're, we're a family here. Everybody say family. And here's the problem. America is such a a great place, but we were founded on rugged individualism. That's what America is all about, rugged individualism. And then when it comes to the church, we, we got to flip it. You got to flip it. Remember, I tell you all the time, God's kingdom is the kingdom upside down. Why should we be surprised that rugged individualism doesn't work when it comes to church? God says, let the first be last and the last be first. He flips it upside down. Somebody hits you on the, off of the other cheek. It's a kingdom upside down. And so here we are in America trying to have community, trying to have family, trying to have church. And God flips it and says, you cannot be a rugged individualist. This is not meant to be a solo act. And we're bent toward our personal spiritual life. Let me tell you. You ought to continually work on your personal spiritual life because you belong in a body. Your personal spiritual walk is important not for you. It is important for you, but not as important for you. It's important for the whole body. Let me just back that up. 
Look at Scripture. How does, how does the Bible, how does Jesus talk about this body? He never talks about it as individuals. What is it? The, if the hand wants to be an eye and the eye wants to be a foot and, and all that stuff about the body. You see all the parts? Talking about the parts? You can't be all the parts solo. You're one of the parts. That's why you personally, spiritually need to be fit to play your part. Jesus talks about the body being a, a bride, a, a marriage, this marriage kind of a mentality. You can't be solo. When it comes to the church, we are a community, and your spiritual strength is meant to be lived out in the context of a body, a community, a family. I'm not saying it's not important that you work on your spiritual life outside of this church, but it ought to be in context of this church. For the health of this church. The key verse I want to use this morning is in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Romans 12 1. It talks about what worship is. And worship is not uh, all the external things, the external things are results of who you are. You are born to be a worshiper in everything you do. In everything you do, do it to the glory of God. In whatever you do, the Bible says, do it to the glory of God. We're worshipers. Everything we do, we're worshipers. And so I want to put it in context this morning. Worship is not an activity that is confined to the expression of music. Worship is an opportunity to show how much you value the presence of God. Whenever we go to worship and talk about worshiping, our minds immediately go to the music part. And, and I don't want to down that because I love the, the music part of worship. The singing part of worship, I love that. I do. It's one of my favorite expressions. And, and, and clicks, we're not, we're not downing what you guys do here. It's very important that all the teams that come lead us for those moments of singing worship. That's great. And can I tell you, it would be easy just to spend all my message talking about singing worship. And that's, that's not going to be my message today. And it's a shame that that's the thing that has kind of divided churches, the style of the singing music. Oh, I like this more. I wish I had this more. I wish there were organs. I wish we had candles lit when we did singing worship. There's all these preferences. And to be honest with you, singing worship is great. And I love it. I love it. I love it. But it's a very minuscule part of the worshiping person. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, present your body as a living sacrifice. In everything you do, it's worship to God. It's worthship. The best way to define worship is to say it's worthship. Assigning the worth of God. The worth of God. I want to take us to a passage. It's not going to be on the screen. Uh, just open your Bibles or get a gadget and head over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I want to take us to a text of a worshiping woman. And I want to I want to just walk through and see what's happening here and apply it to us as individuals in a body. I hope it will encourage you today. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. I want to read the whole context. It's, it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. You know, the Bible 
didn't have these headings in it, right? There's headings. And if you've got a Bible or you've got something, it probably says, a sinful woman forgiven. That wasn't there. That was part of what man put there. But it kind of sums it up. Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's home, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who, was, who and what sort of a woman this is touching him, for she's a sinner. Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. When those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Oh, friends, I love this story. I've, I've preached this message before, and I hope you have the picture of the room. I hope you have a picture of this room where this Pharisee is a religious leader. And he, he, his goal here was to figure out, who is this Jesus? He, he wanted to get a first eye view and judge whether this guy's the real deal. There's been stories going out that this guy's healing people, feeding people, raising people from the dead. So this Pharisee, is supposed to be in charge of religion, brings Jesus into his home. And this sinful woman, she gets wind that Jesus is going to be there. So she comes, prepared. Write that down in your head. Prepared. Everybody say prepared. She came prepared. She brought the flask of expensive. And it's, these kind of things are handed down. These kind of things are expensive. An alabaster jar, it was, the, the, the adjective there was important to let you know. This is not just some random jar, container. No, this is an heirloom thing that you put expensive things in. You keep it for generations. You hand it down. She brought it with her. She knew what she was going to do. She came prepared. She was not at the table. <laughs> she was not honored. People knew she had a past. Anybody here have a past? I got a past. She comes in undignified, low. And she stands against the wall because she's not invited to the table. And at some point she begins to weep. And that weeping is so strong that She's, the tears are falling and landing on Jesus' feet. Back then they reclined at the table. Jesus' legs were out and, and apparently she's close by. And, and her tears are so many that it's, it's falling on his feet. 
she takes her hair down, which is unbelievable because the Bible talks about a woman's honor is her hair. And, and unbelievable that she would undo her hair and let it down in public. The shame, but she's already low. She knows what people think of her. She couldn't go any lower. And so in her mind, what does it matter? She sees the tears have fallen on his feet. It's a muddy mess. The dust has now become mud. And she takes her hair down, her glory, her honor, her dignity. She undoes it. And she starts to wipe up and clean his feet with her hair. And the, the bottle comes out and it's broken. Once you break it, it's broken. It's open and it's spilled out. Rubbed in this beautiful ointment. The fragrance would have been overwhelming. Can you imagine being in the room? There's an honored guest, Jesus. There's a, a highfalutin religious guy who's trying to figure Jesus out. And then he got this scene. Let's not minimize the scene. This woman is, is weeping. There's, there's noises. You're trying to have an honorable dinner and you hear this sobbing and this crying. And then the hair comes out. Everybody's like, oh my goodness. I'm sure that even before the scene happened, people are saying, why is she here? She's ruining this. This is supposed to be a great dinner. And now she's crying and weeping and making all sorts of fuss and the tears and the hair's out. Oh my goodness. And she's touching him. She's touching him. You can't do that. You can't do that, woman. Not a woman like you with the past. I love so many things about this passage. Simon this Pharisee, in his mind, he's tallying up the total, and he's like, all right, I got it. He is no prophet. This Jesus is a sham because he doesn't know what's going on here. That woman's touching him. And if he was God, he wouldn't put up with that nonsense. And then Jesus says, Simon, I love how he answers him out loud. Simon's having thoughts in his head, and Jesus talks to them. What? Like, by the way, I am him. Yeah, I could just, you can just see the, the wheels turning as Jesus speaks out loud. Simon, I have something to tell you. He tells him the story about debt. How much would somebody love? Well, maybe the one who's forgiven more would love more. And then Jesus says, you've judged correctly. I love how he points them out. You're a judge. Your, your problem is judging, Simon. Your problem is judging. And then I love this. I've told you this before, but don't miss the great parts of the Bible. At this point, Jesus has been at the table facing his host. That's been the honor. The woman in the back came in low, as low as you could get. No honor. And then Jesus, after telling Simon the story and telling him that your problem is judging Simon, he turns his back on the host and he looks at the woman. Immediately he has lowered the host and elevated the woman. I love that. Jesus honors women. Unbelievable in the culture he was born into, he honors women, even sinful women. And he looks at this woman and he says, Simon, he talks to Simon with his back. That's, you don't do that in, in that society. He's got his back to the host and he says, Simon, when I came in, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't do all the things that a host normally would do. And he's looking at this woman and he's talking about what she's done. She hasn't stopped kissing me. She's wiped my feet. She wiped my feet, not with a rag. She wiped it with her hair. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. She anointed it with expensive. Her sins are forgiven. And in that moment, the host was smashed and the woman was elevated to a level of honor. Jesus takes dishonor and brings it to honor 
That's what he does for people like you and for me. I tell you that story today because this is an act of worship. And from what I can tell, nobody sang anything. Not against singing. There's a great song that was made about this. We sang it here before. This was a great worship service that never had a song. I do want to say, sometimes we come to worship and some people respond differently. Some people raise their hands in expression of worship. Some people begin to weep when we sing in worship. Don't don't judge. Don't judge. I've been around Christians that are like, I'm just not into that showy stuff. It almost has echoes of that room. What is she doing? Why is she doing that? It's embarrassing. I wish she would just act proper as she's weeping and hair's flying, spit's flying, tears are flying. It's a mess. It's chaos. But it's worship. It's unashamed worship. And that's what Jesus accepted. He accepted that. You need to know you have a God who leans into hugs. You know what I mean by that? Some of us aren't good huggers. I, I wouldn't call myself a good hugger. I'm, I'm a little socially awkward when it comes to touch. I, you know, I'll do the pat, pat, pat. That's the honorary three thing. You do pat, pat, pat. That way everybody knows. I'm, I'm tapping three times, then I'm out, you know. Yeah, one, two, three. Okay, I'm out. You ever been around a good hugger? I, I've heard that Bill, Bill Miller, there's a good hugger. He's like a huge bear, you know. It's coming winter. So he's our, our Oakwood polar bear hugger. He, he gets a hold of you, you've been got a hold of. You know what I mean? I, I don't hug Bill. We don't hug very often, but we do the shake. And when I get shook, I get shook. I mean, he knows how to grasp a hand. And he can lean into a hug. And I, I think our God leans into hugs. He definitely leaned into this woman that day who was worshiping. That's what she was doing. She was worshiping. She was saying, you all despise me, but I've been forgiven. You, you don't like me. I'm dishonored. I'm low, but I love this. Man has saved me. He's made me new. I'm going to come unglued today. I'm going to go to worshiping. And there's going to be a fuss. There's going to be tears. There's going to be raising of hands. And there's going to be a stench that it just permeates the whole room. Everybody there is going to know worship took place. And nothing was going to hold her back. Can I get somebody to say amen? That's worship. That's worth-ship. In John chapter 12, you don't need to go there. There's a story of another woman who has an alabaster jar and she also anoints his feet. There's great debate whether these are the same. I tend to think that they're not the same. I don't think that only one person had the idea because in, in this passage, we talk about this great sinner, probably a prostitute, I'm just saying, in Luke 7, that's probably what her life was. But in John 12, we have Mary who worships Jesus this way, putting ointment on his, and we know that what she's doing, because the Bible it tells us that John 12 comes right after John 11. It's amazing how it works that way, right? And in John 12, we have this woman, Mary, who's worshiping and she's honoring Jesus. She's anointing his feet with oil. And we find out why, because John chapter 11 is amazing. In John chapter 11, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus raises him from the dead and marries his sister. She loses it too. 
The Bible says Lazarus is at that, that place. They're inside a house, and, and Lazarus is there. And Lazarus' sister gets overwhelmed. My brother, he was in the grave, dead and gone, and he raised him from the dead. I'm going to worship him. He takes dead things and makes them alive. He takes pain and sorrow, and he brings new life and joy. I'm going to worship him. I love that. Well, we got some things we got to do today. I'm getting caught up. False narrative number one. We always got to deal with our false narratives, replace them with true narratives. False narrative, worship is a personal matter meant to inspire the individual. That comes from our, our Western American rugged individualist culture. It's all about me. And so worship is something I can do, and I don't need the church. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I hear it all the time. I don't need the church. I, I worship God on my own. I hear guys use this all the time. Pastor, I don't come to the church. I don't need that. I worship God out in the woods in my tree stand. You know what? I want want to make sure you understand that that's not possible. Sure, you can connect with God personally, but like I said at the beginning, that's not the end goal. Go and hunt if that's where you connect with God. Go do that. Praise be to the glory of God. Prepare yourself. Be ready because you live in a community. So come back to the community where that's lived out in the body. Be the hand. Be the nose, be the foot, whatever you are, but you're part of a body, not a solo act. Well, I listen to my own praise and worship. I've got my worship list. By the way, worship's not a genre. I'm guilty of this. In my Amazon Music Library, I have a worship, I have worship set, and that's the set we're going to do the next Sunday, but I have worship list, song list, and I have all these worship songs. Worship's not a genre. It's not a music genre. It's an activity we do. To bring worth to the great glory of God. Worship is is a personal matter meant to inspire the individual. Yes, I hope you have uh, some music you listen to on your own. Let it help you and grow you and encourage you. But that's not the body. Come back to the body. Be involved in a community where we worship together. Here's the true narrative. Worship is a communal activity meant to instruct a community. Do you realize that the Jewish, we come from a Jewish background, and do you realize that all the things that God, he told the Jewish people to do in worship to him was meant to instruct the body. These were lessons learned. These are things we're supposed to tell over and over again so that we learn from them. We go to church not to be entertained, but to be trained. Oh, you ought to be writing this stuff down and putting it out on Facebook. Somebody got to put something out today saying, here's what we learned today. We go to church not to be entertained, but to be trained. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be encouraged. Go Hillsong, whatever you do, Bethel, whatever. there's great stuff to listen to. Listen to it all week long in preparation for the community. And then we come together. We live out worship communally. Why? We tell the stories together to learn. We worship because Christ, the church is the only place where we hear the true story of God, who we are and what our lives are all about. Amen? So we come here to tell the stories. Sometimes we tell them in songs. Sometimes we tell them in the sermon. Sometimes we tell them in other parts of worship and communion. But we're telling the story of God and of us and our salvation. That's worship. False narrative number two. There's another one today. You get two for the price of one. False narrative two. Worship is an obligation we owe God. Some people think, oh, I got to go to church because I, I have to because I owe it to God. God does not put you in a place of obligation when it comes to worship or it wouldn't be worship. 
The, the true narrative is worship is an invitation given by God. We're invited to worship. God doesn't need our worship. Can I just get that straight? He doesn't need our worship. He invites us into worship. Why? Because when we worship, we have to put him in his proper place. We have to put ourselves in the proper place. And we have to remember the evidence of all his glory. We look back and we tell the story of what God has done. That's worship. That's worship. We do it in a community. I sent a message out on Thanksgiving Major fail, by the way. Everybody was supposed to put their own video, and there was only one. It was only mine. Mine was the only one. Thanks for liking it 350 times, but it wasn't the goal. The goal was I was supposed to put the sample video, and everybody in Oakwood was supposed to post their own video. Thankful Oakwood. This is what God has done for me. Well, major fail. Either I explained it wrong, or you guys just like, yay, Pastor Don, now go away. Okay. <laughs> Every once in a while, I just got to say major fail. I just major failed that one. But in my message, I said... Thanksgiving ought to be not just today, because there's certainly a lot of reasons why we're not thankful today, what's happening in our world, but Thanksgiving ought to be looking back. It's a looking back, and over the time of looking back, we see the evidence of what God has done, and it's the evidence of God's faithfulness throughout the years that brings us to worship and Thanksgiving, amen? And so this invitation is given to us. And we don't perform worship. Think of it this way. We're not performing worship. We're responding. Everybody say respond. Worship is simply responding. Through Christ in the Spirit, we respond to the Father's love. Are you responding to what God has done for you? The evidence of his glory in your life? Respond to it. That's worship. And we do it in a community. C.S. Lewis wrote this. On solitary conceit. I want to read it for you. It's too long to put on the screen. Can I read it? C.S. Lewis says, When I first became a Christian about 14 years ago, I thought that I could do it on my own by retiring to my rooms and reading theology. And I wouldn't go to churches and gospel halls. I disliked very much their hymns, which I considered fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it, I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education. Then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just six-rate music, were nonetheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. Oh, what we've made of worship. What a mess we've made. Solitary, thinking I can do it alone. Conceit, thinking Christian worship is not worthy of my appreciation. Are we all guilty of it? Are we all guilty of going home from church and saying, I didn't like the worship today. I didn't do any of my favorite songs. Oh, the worship was too slow. There wasn't enough energy. Where's the energy? We're all guilty of it. Number one, worship is not what we do confined to just the singing element. And so what if it's not your favorite? You've got six other days of the week you can play whatever you want over and over again on your own radio stereo device. You can do that all week long. When we come together, it's not about being your favorite. It's, it's about us 
proclaiming his worth. It's us responding, whether the music's slow or whether the music's fast, whether the worship team has energy or they all need more coffee. None of it should matter. We should walk away and never judge what was done based on our preferences. I've got preferences too. We're all guilty of that. I understand what it is. And I'm not giving it a pass. I'm not giving it a pass. We work hard. Can I tell you? We work hard. I've taken over the worship. I'm the director of worship now. And, and, and I have wonderful teams. And we're trying hard to have energy. But also, we just want to guide you to the throne. Really, that's our goal. We're not entertainers. None of them are professional. You know, my father-in-law, I love him. He might be watching. He's like, he tells me every week, how come everybody has to look at their music? Shouldn't they have learned that already? They should learn their music and be able to play. I'm like, Joe, they're not paid. We don't pay any of our people. I don't mind if they got to look at the music because I got to look at mine too. We're not paid. We're not here to entertain you. We're, we're here with you. You're part of the band. You're, you're with the band, everybody. And together, we are proclaiming his worth. We're looking at the evidence of his goodness in our lives and we're proclaiming it. So what is worship in a community? Can I tell you what we do and why we do it real quickly? We usually have a call to worship. That's what the band does. When the timer goes off, you know, the timer, five-minute countdown on the side screen, then the band plays. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's just to get everybody out of the lobby. Yeah, kind of. But there's a bigger purpose of a call to worship. A call to worship is supposed to be, here we go, people. You need to start putting the things down and, and then getting in the mode of, you know what I mean by putting things down, right? You're worried about what's for lunch. You're worried about what you're going to do. You're worried about what happened yesterday. You're worried about work next week. You got to put that all down. We ought to have a special coat rack in the lobby that nothing can go on except for your imaginary problems. And as you come in, you hear the call to worship, you ought to say, okay, I'm going to hang this up right here so I can go in and have nothing but worship going on. I'll pick that junk up on my way out. You can pick it all up when you leave. But the call to worship is, let's get ready to rumble. Oh, no, no, no. Let's get ready to worship. That's the purpose. We need that. We need a, a stop and a start for our crazy week, don't we? We need to stop it, everybody. It's time to start focusing on community worship of our God. And then there's a greeting. Oh, we, we, we hired a third guy. So, so my wife loves that. She's like, I, I just love it when you sit down and shut up until it's time for you to get up and talk. I hate it when you have to do 20 things before you get, I love it when somebody, and I do too, I think it's great, but that's just not so we can make Ben feel good that he gets to talk in the microphone. There's a purpose for a greeting. Remember the old, the, the show, the Cheers on TV? Remember when Norm used to walk in, everybody used to say, Norm, where everybody knows your name. You know the greeting is at church? It's a holy moment where we're saying, hey, we're glad you put your stuff down out there. We're glad you've joined us in here. We welcome you. You're part of a body. That greeting is a formal, hey, family, we're gathered. And then there's prayer. We pray a couple times during our service. But you know what? That prayer time could be a time for you to to remember that we're not perfect people. Maybe you need to stop and ask forgiveness of sins. I, I think we ought to do that every week. We ought to be in church. We ought to come to God. Before we can give worship in our singing, we ought to lay down our sins too at his feet and be cleaned. There's the component of creeds in the Lord's Prayer. Admittedly, we don't do enough of that. Some of you would like us to do it more. 
Just remember, your pastor is a recovering Baptist. I come from a high you know, liturgical background, and so I, re- I re- kind of revolt from all that. I kind of put that stuff, and I, and I, I want to walk away. I wanna, and you know what? So the, the result has been maybe we get too casual, and we forget some of the formal things are good. Amen? On the screens, you're going to have the creed. We don't do it enough. We're going to do it together today. Would you stand with me as we read the creed together today? Let's see. Is it up there? Read with me out loud together the Apostles' Creed. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, in mine, there's an asterisk there by the word Catholic, because I don't want anybody freaking out. The word Catholic means universal, not the Roman Catholic Church. So when we say the Holy Catholic Church, it means the big pen, not, not, not the little sheep pen, the big sheep pen. Amen? Are you with me? So we, we have creeds, and we should read them. Who'd be willing to read them with me every once in a while? Not every week, but we'd, we'd read them out loud to remind ourselves who he is, who we are. And then there's the Lord's Prayer. Would you say it with me? Let's repeat the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. I think we need to do more of the formal things every once in a while, and I'll work on that as your pastor. Number five, Scripture. I promise you there's never been a Sunday in my five, going on six years that I've been here, that we haven't opened up God's Word and read from it. We read from the scriptures. It leads me to the sermon, because I usually use that for what we're speaking about. Somebody proclaims that word to you. This is all worship, by the way. Every one of those components are worship. Have we, have we said singing yet? No? Okay, just so you know. All right, here we go. We're on number seven, communion, the Lord's Supper. You know, I'm convicted on this. Sharon and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, it just bothers me when we always tag communion at the end of a service. And you know why, because I'm a long-winded speaker. I go long, and then, uh-oh, we've got to fit communion in. That's, 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 that's not right. As a pastor, one of the things I'll be working on this next year is making sure communion is not a two-minute tag on to an already long sermon. Amen? We might need to do communion as part of the worship before the sermon, right? So we can stop. There ought to be a moment of reflection in communion. We can't just fly past it. There ought to be moments of silence. I could have put silence on this list, and I almost did, but we don't do it at all, and we should. There should be moments of silence in worship so you can reflect. The Bible says examine yourself. Whoever took an exam that lasted 10 seconds, 
Examine yourself. Be quiet before holy God. We need to do better at that. Eight. Sing, oh, there it is. Eighth on the list. Again, I'm not downing it, but it's become the most prominent thing that people think that's worship. Singing. We ought to sing. The verses on the screen tell us in Colossians 3, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What I see there is, doesn't matter the style. We could bring the organ back if you want. We could just simply have no instruments and do a, a chant if you want. We could do it the old monk way, you know, and as long as we are doing it with gratitude in our hearts. That's the, the goal. There's another verse. It's in Ephesians 5, 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. It ought to be something that comes with it. I love that old song. When the music fades and all is swept away. And then in the chorus, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Because it's all about you. It's all about Jesus. We got to go back. We have to go back to the heart of worship. Number nine, we offer gifts. Giving is part of, of our worship. Worthship. You take your, your, all the things I spoke on last week about being generous and what is God worth to you? And that's part of our, our giving is part of our worship. And then 10, the benediction. I uh, have added that recently because I thought we needed that. So over the last several months, I've been given a benediction. I'm not good at it yet because I didn't grow up with benedictions. I actually printed it so that I stop messing it up. I get about one line and then I forget and I say, go in peace. That's all I give you. Traditionally, it's the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. It's the way the pastor bestows a blessing and then you go. You got to pick up all the junk you left on the hook outside to go give your week, right? You got to pick it back up. But you've been blessed and set in peace. All these things are components of worship. I ask you to join with me in them. And then I give you some application. How do I engage in meaningful worship? Let me give you some tips this week. Prepare through margin. Again, I've been speaking about that three weeks in a row. The white spaces, the blank spaces, the time that you don't fill every second of every day. Get some margin in your life. Number two, arrive early. Come early for worship. Don't show up here. If, you know, you've already missed part of our worship if you missed the call to worship. That's part of worship. You come running in here, two songs in, you're missing out on our corporate worship. Get here early. Come with holy expectancy, right? Uh, you ought to come every Sunday to your community so we can be part of a body with holy expectancy. God's going to speak through his word. We're going to have opportunity to extol. We ought to come with holy expectancy and leave with holy obedience. Amen? Focus on one aspect of worship each week. I'm going to give you a challenge through December. Show up and, and be ready to focus on one thing. Just one of the aspects. Maybe you're going to come and you're going to focus on communion. Next week's communion. You're going to say, I'm going to really pay attention and include myself in this moment maybe one week is going to be the giving aspect and you're going to say i'm going to give thoughtfully this week i'm going to pray about it and i'm going to come and give an offering based on god's worth and then another tip apply one thing god revealed during worship maybe it's during the singing or maybe it was during the sermon maybe it was during the greeting but go home and live that out something that god has said here is what you need to know 
with that, I'm past time again. You know what? Maybe we should just stop saying it's an hour-long service. From now on, it's an hour and 15 minutes, okay? Give Pastor a break. I'm sorry. I've been trying to end at 12 or the, on the hour, and it's just impossible. Give me, give me 15 extra, okay? Oh, Lord, help us. So many things I want to say. But I'll just wrap it up with this. The good and beautiful community is so many things, but I pray... I pray that it's everything God called us to be for you. And I pray that you're everything God called you to be in the community. Be everything that God's called you to be. It's the only way this community will be good and beautiful. It needs you. It needs you. It needs the best of you. Get some margin in your life so you can get to bed early on Saturday nights. You know what I've been doing? My my family teases me relentlessly. I go to bed now at about 9, 9.30 on Saturday night. You know what I tell them? I said, I got, guys, I got, I got to get some rest. I, Daddy's got to go to bed because I get up at 6 so I can start praying and looking at my notes again. I got to get to bed early tonight. You can go to bed a little earlier on Saturday night so you can get up and be ready. Come early with some expectancy. What's God going to do today? And then I just... I always want to be the woman in the corner of the room. I always want to remember, that's who I want to be. I don't want to be, I don't want to be Simon, judging, thinking that I'm the purpose. I want to be the woman who just says, I'm a mess. And if it wasn't for your grace and mercy, I'd have nothing. I always want to, I want to be like her and, and just say, when I come to the community... And isn't it great that she didn't do that just at home? You know, she could have done that. Some of you that say, I can worship at home, my mother. She could have. She could have just said, in her own room in her house, she could have said, oh, I love Jesus so much. I love him. He forgave me. I asked him to forgive me. My sins have come in my life, and now he's my Savior. Amen. She could have done that all alone, and we never would have had that beautiful story. Simon never would have got funked over the head. We'd have missed out on so much. Why? Because she decided to do it together. I want to be with you and lo. <laughs> And let him bring me high. I want to I give worship to my God for what he's done in my life. And I tie it to Thanksgiving week. My wife asked me if I could do this song. She said, there's a song and I want you to do it at church. And I'm doing this for my wife today. I'll ask the band to come join me. We're going to put it on the screen so you could sing with us if you'd like to. You could just take in the words. And it's my Thanksgiving closer on worshiping God. It's about looking back and seeing the evidence of what God's done for you. And when it comes to Thanksgiving, I can't help but to look back and say, God, thank you. Because I'm, I'm like that woman. I come in a sinful mess. I've got a past. But he's given me a new future. I've got an old life, but he's made it new. This past week, I found myself at the Oakland County Jail. Not on that side. I happen to be just at the jail. Relax. The old life is long gone. Amen. But I found myself in the parking lot. And I remember sitting there for a while looking at the building and seeing those little windows. They just, they've got little windows. I think they're four inches by this four feet maybe. I don't know. All these windows, all those cells. And I sat in the parking lot thinking to myself, that could have been me. I could be looking out on the world through a four-inch window. Instead, God's given me a beautiful life. He's blessed me. I look back and see the evidence of God's hand in my life, and it weren't for godly people in a community that brought me to Jesus. 
my life would be a mess. But today I proclaim, I see the evidence of his goodness all over my life. All over my life. And we just want to sing this song with you. You can remain seated. Or you can stand and sing whatever you choose to do this morning as we close.